And we don't take cheap hymns. We look carefully. We analyze them. I was here at the youth movement and some outside group came in talking about the reckless love of God. No such thing. Where's that theology come from? Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in a study of the book of Revelation and are in chapter 15 and a message entitled, The Vision Before the Bowls. As we've studied, the Apostle John was relegated to the Isle of Patmos, where he's given a vision of things to come. Included in that vision are a number of judgments that will befall the earth during a time known as the Tribulation. In our study, we're about to open the chapter on what are called the bowl judgments. And this week, we've been looking at the seven angels which will deliver those judgments. Dr. Brogy has noted how the vision that is laid out in this chapter features a component of judgment, a component of jubilation, and today we will see a component of justice. Let's pick up as Pastor Carl reads verse 5. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. Now, we've already seen in chapters 5 and 6, if you remember, there's the golden altar and there's the brazen altar that are in heaven and not by accident because the temple furniture on earth actually exists in heaven. Remember, when Moses came down from that mountain, he not only had the Ten Commandments, so to speak, he had a set of blueprints. God had given him a vision of how to build the tabernacle. Some of you were with me on one trip, and we were down in the desert, and I didn't even know it was there, but we stumbled upon some Messianic Jewish believers who had rebuilt the, ta- uh, the, the tabernacle, that tent structure. And I want to tell you, every thread, every color, every stick of furniture is symbolic, as will the later temple that they built be and was is symbolic of what Messiah has done and will do. And so God said in Exodus 25, 40, which the writer of the Hebrews quotes, Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. And God warned him, see that you make all things according to the pattern, tupos, type, that you were shown on the mountain. Now you will hear pastors sometimes speak of a type, and that may be a new word for you, but it's an important word. It's the word that is rendered here as pattern. A type is an Old Testament picture of a future reality. So, for instance, a type of Christ we've already discussed this morning was in the Passover where the blood was put on the doorpost and God passed over, just like the sinless blood of Christ is pictured in that spotless Passover lamb is your protection, and God will pass over you in wrath if you've applied it to your heart by faith. And so if you know something about the book of Hebrews, you will know that its theme concerns Jewish Christians because they were Jews and yet confessing Jesus, Yeshua is Lord, it meant persecution. And so to escape some of the persecution, some of the Jewish Christians went back to the externals and they were involved in temple worship. Why were they involved in that? Because you didn't want people to boycott your business? You didn't want people to rag on your wife and your kids. So you went back and you were externally Jewish. 
And the writer of the Hebrews said, this is an awful thing that you're doing. Number one, the first tabernacle and the temple that would follow, one and two, were just a copy of a real tabernacle that exists in heaven. And so you are worshiping in a copy when the reality is in heaven. You are listening to an Old Testament high priest when the real high priest is the Lord Jesus, who's making continual intercession for you in heaven. You are living on the blueprint when the real building is in heaven. And so we studied, if you remember, in Revelation eleven nineteen. then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. Once again, we read here in chapter 15, after these things, I looked in the temple in the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. Now, if you've read the first five books of the Bible, you will remember that the term the testimony is a reference to what we call the Ten Commandments. And so repeatedly, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments is often referred to as the testimony. And so God said in Exodus 25, 16, you shall put into the ark the testimony which I shall give you. Because it, it was a testimony. The Ten Commandments are an expression of who God is and all that He is. And that's why God can say to unbelievers that they are fully accountable to Him, even people who have never heard the name of Jesus. Why? Because the law of God is written in their hearts. And so Paul says in Romans 2.15, Gentiles who don't even have a Bible have the law of God written in their hearts. Their conscience either testifying, affirming, or accusing them of right and wrong. And of course, the biblical principle is light responded to brings more light. And so a man can't say, well, I didn't have a chance. I never heard the name of Jesus. God doesn't send a man to hell for having never believed in a Savior in whom he's never heard. He sends him to hell because he's rejected the broadest of all revelations. And when a man rejects the revelation of God in creation and conscience, he has condemned himself. So in heaven, there is a testimony in an actual ark of the covenant. It's powerful. And it's in a place called Naos, which is a section of the temple. You know it. It's called the Holy of Holies. Look now at verse 6. In the seven angels who had the seven plagues, came out of the naos, the holy of holies, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. Now notice these seven angels are dressed in linen. Linen was the garment that the high priest wore. It's the garment that the Lord Jesus wears. And these angels are in linen that is described as clean and bright. These are holy angels. And they also have golden sashes because, again, they are representatives of the Lord God. And the Lord Jesus in chapter 1 has this golden sash. But they're representing him. They're on his team, so they're wearing his uniform. And they're about to execute judgment for him. Why? Because John 5.22 says the Father has given all judgment to the Son. Now, if you were here last week, we saw that you will meet God. You will either meet him as your great redeemer or you will meet him as the grim reaper, but you will meet him. And so these seven angels have the seven plagues, which we will see next time are the seven bowls of the wrath of God. And so they emerge out of the Holy of Holies, representing the very place where the the Ten Commandments, the testimony there in the Ark of the Covenant are located. 
And so as Christ's representatives, they are going to deal with a world that has mocked God's law. Listen, we've seen an awful thing in the last few weeks. And ever before, this dear judge came out and accusations were made against him. And I'm not here to defend him one way or the other. They said, we don't want him. Within 30 minutes, we don't want him. Why? Because there's a movement of people in America who think it is a woman's right to kill an innocent baby in a womb. There are people in America because as heterosexual, immoral people, they want to embrace, along with gay people, the LGBTQ rights. Because they spurn and hate the law of God, they will hate anyone who stands for truth, Christian or non-Christian. And so these angels are going to defend the very law that is there in that sacred holy place in heaven called the Ark of the Covenant. Moses said it long ago, he, God, will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And if what the martyred saints sang here in verse 3 is correct, and it is, that God is righteous and true, then he will punish sin. And if God does not punish sin, he would topple from his throne of holiness. King David had it in Psalm 19. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Abraham rightly said in discussing God's wrath over Sodom, shall not the judge of the earth deal justly? Now look at their argument here in verse 7. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. In chapter 16, we'll reveal the content of those bowls. But the word here um, for full of the wrath of God, the word for full is a specialized Greek word that means full to the very brim. When I go to the... <laughs> When I go to Dunkin' Donuts every Sunday morning, about 6.05, I pull through there, and they, already, they always know it's me. I said, now, when you fill that coffee, would you fill it to the rim? Because sometimes, you know, they leave about this much empty. I said, fill it to the rim, and they, they, they're ready for me. But I'm telling you, this is full to the brim. One more drop, and it would spill over. That's the essence of the word that God uses here. God has been patient. He is long-suffering, but now his wrath is filled to the brim, and he is going to pour these bowls out. The writer of the Hebrews says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now look at verse 8. It concludes the chapter with a powerful statement. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Now, this verse describes for us a transformation of God's heavenly temple into an environment, the Scripture says here, that is filled with smoke and no one can come in. It's accessible only to God. If you were here last time, we saw the smoke represents the Shekinah of God. And here, 
It is filling the temple as as if God were saying, stay out, I'm busy. No one can interrupt me. I'm going to complete my judgment on the world. No one can enter the temple at that point. Why? Because God is finished with man's nonsense. The temple is impassable because it has now become impossible for someone to repent. And God is going to lay His wrath on the world like we've never yet seen in the Revelation. And when this happens, it will be forever too late for anyone to believe. Now, how are we going to apply this text of Scripture? There are several applications I want to make this morning. Number one, if you've been saved, if we've been saved, then we must give praise and thanks to God. We must give praise and thanks to God. We just studied how in heaven these people are not patting themselves on the back. They are singing praises to God for how good He is. And listen, part of what makes heaven heaven is that you completely forget about yourself and we remember the living God. And the same, I suppose, can be true. Now, these people are perfectly spirit-filled. They are redeemed. They're still awaiting their resurrection bodies. They have a temporary body, but still they are spirit-filled. And when you're spirit-filled, as much as you can be, you really begin to forget yourself when you focus on God And God wants our singing to be about Him. You know, there's a lot of people who sing because they're seeking a feeling. It's about them. It's not about God. And if you come here and you sing like a statue, then you're way off key. I'm not talking about the quality of your voice. Groan it out, even if you're way off key and you've had half your larynx torn out. Sing! I want to hear it. But if you're like a statue, you're way off key. Listen, God gives very nearly as many commands to sing corporately as he does to pray corporately. And that's important. Now, some of you are live streaming today, and I, and I read the live stream. I can't always tell when, you know, we got a lot of people on Facebook around the world sometimes exactly where they are unless they say some notation. If you're live streaming, tell us what country you're from, what state you're in. But through the church website, we can see every city and every state and where people, what countries they're live streaming from. And sometimes I get a little concerned when I see so many people from Buford and Bluffton and Hilton at especially the second hour. Now, I understand I've got people who live stream the first hour because their pastor doesn't teach the Word of God. And they're hungry. And they listen the first hour, and then they go to their local church the second hour. Great. But I fear that there are some who are live streaming who are live streaming because they didn't feel like getting up and coming here. Not because they have sick kids. Not because they're sick. They just didn't feel like coming. And when you don't feel like coming, it's different when you're on one of our satellite campuses where you are live streaming corporately. You're able to do what God tells you to do. You're able to corporately sing praises to God. But some of us don't do that. Not even when we do come. That's an obedience issue. 
Listen to what Ephesians 5, 19, it tells us we're obeying when we're singing, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. And not only are you obeying when you sing corporately, you are implanting truth into your hearts. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with grace in your hearts to God. Paul lays out the command to let God's word dwell richly within you. And there are two dimensions. One is teaching. That's why you need a Bible when you come here. Look, I'm glad for the electronics. And last night I started in Matthew and I woke up and I was in Romans. I just let it play it all night in my headset. And I'm glad for the electronics. But you need a paper copy. I've told you about six times already some things you should write in the margin. And not to mention the electronic copy won't make you proficient in the Word of God and finding your way around it. And don't say you're an old fogey because I had an electronic Bible before a lot of you were born. 1985, okay? But one of the dimensions that God uses to let the Word richly dwell within you is teaching, but also singing. Matt had us sing a few weeks ago a a powerful hymn, In Christ Alone. And we went home with a whole theology of the cross. I told you a few weeks ago, my, my daughter who's teaching children's choirs there in Texas, how one of the moms called her and said, I overheard my daughter after the door was shut and the lights were out singing the song that you taught them in choir. And many of you could testify that of your own children. That's why you should have those kids in choir. You're implanting good, rich theology. And we don't take cheap hymns. We look carefully. We analyze them. I was here at the youth movement. Some outside group came in talking about the reckless love of God. No such thing. Where's that theology come from? Listen, God wants you to sing corporately because you are impregnating into your soul biblical truth, speaking to one another, admonishing one another. You are not only obeying and implanting, you are building the body of Christ. You are helping. Look, when you come and you sing, my heart is encouraged. I hope yours is. I'm edified through the body of Christ who's singing corporately. My only regret is sometimes I have to change and get ready from the baptism and I miss some of the hymns. You're witnessing when you sing. Paul speaks of that. When an unbeliever comes in and they watch the people of God worship, in some places they will fall on their face and give themselves to God. You are giving a testimony to unbelievers who are present every week. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell all of his wondrous works, the psalmist said. In addition, when you sing corporately, you are experiencing. What are you experiencing? Among other things, the joy of the Lord. Because when you obey God, your heart will be full of joy. The psalmist said, but let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them sing for joy. 
On the flip side, James says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Listen, if you begin to sing consistently, there'll be more joy in your heart than you ever realized. Look, everyone gets a little depressed, and there's different causes for depression. Like with Elijah, sometimes it's just physical exhaustion. And my wife will tell me the most spiritual thing you can do right now is get a good night's sleep. And it's all gone in the morning. But let me tell you, some of you deal with depression more than you need to, and the solution is not a pill, it's a song to begin to incorporate in your lifestyle, not the music of the world, but godly music. It has a way of just lifting your soul up into heaven. It will strengthen you all as well for a trial. Remember Acts 16, Paul and Silas are brought to that place called Philippi by God Almighty, and we're told in Acts 16, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. Just like the saints in heaven, whose salvation is complete, such that they are perfectly filled with the Spirit. Here's Paul and Silas filled with the Spirit, and what are they doing? They're singing hymns of praise to God. Now imagine what it might have been like had they not been filled with the Spirit. Silas, you awake? Of course I am. How could I sleep in this filthy, smelly, rat-infested cell? Well, Paul... We're here because of you, buddy. You're the leader. Hey, don't get huffy with me. I got a headache. Why should I? Well, you got a headache. I got a migraine. Listen, Silas, I sold my tent company. I could have made a ton of money doing that, but I sold it to obey God, so don't you whine with me. And that jailer would have said, ah, two preachers. They don't really believe what they believe. But that's not what happened. Silas, you awake? Hallelujah, brother. I'm wide awake. How are you feeling? I'm having victory in Jesus. Me too. We've suffered for the cause of Christ. We got stripes on our back to prove it. You're right, brother. Hey, we've been honored to suffer. Why don't we sing to the Lord? Why don't we sing... Every day is sweeter than the day before. No, I don't want to sing that. Let's sing about how great our God is in heaven above. Let's sing praises to him. And there they are, and the whole jail's listening. And what a testimony they had in the midst of a trial. And those people probably thought, these people really believe what they preach. When you sing corporately, and that's one of the reasons we gather here on the Lord's Day and why you should come if you're just sitting at home in bed drinking an iced tea. You are glorifying the living God, and in the process, you are obeying Him. You are implanting truth into your life. You are a witness to an unbelieving world. You are experiencing the joy of the Lord, and you are strengthening yourself for the trials that you will face. Second, this morning, let me make another application. If you've not been saved and you die lost, you will meet God in His wrath. 
Now, a lot of people do not really believe what I'm preaching. They just think that this is a bunch of hogwash. They don't think it really matters. And so I've been in many a funeral home with many an unbeliever. Oh, he is always, he's always in a better place. He's always in a better place. Some God-hater, some adulterer, he's always in a better place. I wish that were true. God warns us in Romans chapter 2, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. You see, this is what most people think. They think God's not going to intervene. All this hullabaloo that you evangelicals talk about, Jesus is coming back. You've been preaching that for 2,000 years. God's not coming back. God is just patient. He is forbearing. And in Romans 2.5, God reminds us that every time a person continues to rebel against the light that God has given them because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up, literally you are treasuring up. It's the same word that's used when Jesus tells us to store up treasure in heaven. You are treasuring up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and the revelation of our righteous God. The truth is, is that the Lord is not slow about His promises. Some count slowness, but He is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Robert Ingersoll was a lawyer, a brilliant orator who lived in the mid-1800s. He was the son of a Presbyterian minister, a Presbyterian minister who ultimately began to preach for Charles Finney when he was not there. But sadly to say, his son was a reprobate. And people would go and listen to Ingersoll speak, and they would pay a dollar, which was a small fortune in that day. And they would listen to him mock God. And he would say, if there is a God in heaven who really cares, then strike me dead in 30 seconds. And he would begin to count down five, four, three, two. See, there's no God now, if I were God on that last second, I would have said, poof. <laughs> and the only thing that would be left would be his watch. But God is not like that. But don't mistake the fact that he has not yet intervened, that he is not going to intervene. This morning, here is a sea of glass mixed with fire. And there's coming a day when God is going to loose his bowls, and those bowls of wrath will eventually turn into the eternal wrath of God forever and ever and ever. And God is not crying wolf. This is not the sensationalism of an Orson Welles. This is the Word of God, and we would do well to hear it. To listen again to today's study from Revelation 15 entitled, The Vision Before the Bulls, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and request program REV41. Would you consider coming alongside Search the Scriptures with a one-time gift or perhaps becoming a monthly supporter? 
Right now, we have the opportunity to be added to some new radio stations in the greater New England area, and we could use your help to offset the costs. If you can help, call 877-787-7478 or click the Give button at searchthescriptures.org. Thank you. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll continue our study in Revelation. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.